Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Weird World Podcast. Hi. My, hi. My name is Carrie. I'm Emma. I'm Dean. We're going to switch things around a little bit, how we do them. Just going to let you know up front where you can find us, <laughs> Weird World Podcast at gmail.com and on Facebook and Instagram and Patreon and Weird World Pod on Twitter. Thanks, Carrie. Nice. And all your podcast apps, which obviously you're listening to us, so you already found us. That's good. Sadine, yes. tell us what you're going to talk about today. Well, I think you know what I'm going to talk about. Well, I do. Part three of the D.B. Cooper hijacking mystery. Quick, very quick recap, part one. Told you about a man came known as D.B. Cooper. He hijacked a plane heading for Seattle. He got $2,000, got a couple of parachutes on the flight toward Reno, he jumped out and uh, never seen again. The flight landed. He wasn't on it. Part two, we covered the investigation, how the police and the FBI, you know, went and swarmed over um, southwestern Washington where they thought he likely jumped, but they didn't find any sign of him. It's possible or even likely that they were looking in the wrong area. It was probably a little mm. further south of there, we found out, because there was some money found from the loot, the $200,000. About $9,000 of that was found by a young boy on the Columbia River. So, D.B. Cooper disappeared. Did he live? Did he get away? Perfect we don't crime. No, was it the perfect mm-hmm. crime? Sure seems like it. Today, yeah. we're going to talk about if it was the perfect crime. Who was this perfect criminal, D.B. Cooper? Hmm. First, we're going to start by doing what all great law enforcements do, at least according to TV, which is a profile. Yeah, of course. They profile the... the uh, and I know how much per- you re- respect criminal profiles. Big fan of profiling. <laughs> so we're going to profile D.B. Cooper. At least we're going to, try to you know, have some basic facts. So we have the appearance, first of all. Right? Which we already know. I yes. mean, that's not a profile because we already know. No, but we're profiling him in a, in yeah. a more inclusive way. So flight attendants Florence Shafter and Tina Mucklow, both, they're both questioned. Soon after, other people were questioned. We know what he looked like, 5'10 or so. That's 1.78 meters, obviously. Of course. About 180 pounds, 82 kilograms. He was in his most uh, earliest late 30s. Most people put him at age 40-ish in, up to the mid-40s. Brown high, um, brown high, brown <laughs> eyes, brown hair. <laughs> And kind of swarthy skin, almost a dark complexion to it. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, other than that, I was going to say, literally, looks anybody, the, the absolute average American yes. man. Even that, he had a suntan. So yeah, he was the absolute yeah. average American man. He was apparently familiar with the Pacific Northwest of the United States. That's Washington, Oregon, specifically the Seattle area, because he he could identify landmark marks mm. over the air of Seattle when looking mm. down. As you recall, he also knew about McCord Air Force Base, where it was, about how far it was from Seattle. It wasn't that wasn't generally well known to the average person. He also chose the exact right place to jump. Remember, it's kind of the flatter area north of Portland. So they, they really think it's fairly safe to surmise that he knew a lot about the area. Yeah. yeah. And that he had some familiarity with skydiving, though how much of a skydiving expert he was, the FBI would come to dispute. We'll talk about that later. He also knew something about airplanes and flying because remember he knew about the rear exit door and that was the, the yep. perfect plane. That 727 was just the perfect plane to try to do something like this from. It also, that, that same jet could be refueled faster than other jets and we know part of his plan was to have it quickly refueled 
when he landed. It didn't work out that way, but that was part of his plan. So he, he knew something about airplanes. Yeah. Not necessarily more than he could have researched, but he did. So we're safe with all these assumptions. But then the actual profilers get involved and indeed got involved back then. Now, profiling is something that has a name now and was done for a long time, though, without kind of formally being having a name. It was famously, right. in, I can't remember the guy's name, the FBI agent in the 80s and kind of famously yeah. sort of codified it. Mm-hmm. And started with like Edward Kemper and those. Did it start that far guys. long ago? I think so because, well, no, they went back and talked to Ed oh, okay. Kemper and um, I'm assuming... Mind yeah. Hunter, the TV show, is historically. I don't know, but I assume that. I don't know, but yeah. But I the, would I, assume well, just relatively, because I think was that early, supposed to be early eighties, late seventies, or something uh, like that. Camper, I don't late, know. More late seventies. I'm not sure. Yeah. But the idea is, you get inside the head of the perpetrator. You, you understand the psychology of mm-hmm. who it is, and it helps you maybe narrow the field. In reality, of course, profiling doesn't. No. It's not helpful. It's not real evidence. It doesn't it relies, help you catch somebody. It doesn't yeah. help you catch or, or prove that that person did it. And that latter part, it doesn't do anything at that for that whatsoever. If anything, yeah. it can just be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah. research shows is, is using probability to narrow down a field of suspects. That's fine, but it's not positive evidence of anything whatsoever. And if you're wrong about that, you could rule people out yeah. due to profiling. You should not be ruling people yeah, out. Yeah, like they say, he's a... Uh, a middle-aged white man who probably still lives at home with his mother. And right. Maybe he is. Why? Probabilities, probabilities, you know, the average serial killer is X, Y, and Z. 20s and 30s, they're yeah. white male, they're loners. They aren't all that. Yeah. And again, that doesn't, when you do catch someone, it's not positive evidence in what in any way, shape, yeah. or form that, he, that that person actually did but, it. But and it also can't help you catch somebody, because what are no. you going to do? Go knock on the door of every old lady and see if she's got a, a son living middle-aged in son? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I don't know. That's it's one a, idea. It doesn't seem very practical. Actually, I think it's, it's. I think it's the most overrated. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a minor, modest tool, or it should be in law enforcement's bag of tools. It's for to for statistics kind of, yeah. and analysis. And, and, yeah, yeah, to understand but, crime as more yeah. so than detect crime. It's yeah, exactly. Super overrated. Yeah. Um, so that's just my personal opinion. In this case, though, so the people, the agents in charge, are involved. The DB Cooper case, they sort of profiled him and they thought, okay, listen, we think he's someone who was in desperately need of money because, you know, he hijacked a plane for money. So he must have been broke. Exactly. So that, but they said, look for someone who is in financial straits. That's what they suggested to investigators. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because he hijacked a plane for money. He must need money. Yeah. Everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I know. They also said, okay, if it's not that, then he was a thrill seeker or Uh like a... He he did it just to prove it could be done. Yeah. So that's two very different uh-huh. people. So yes. you can see how they can sort of hedge and expand their pool of possibilities in, in a way that you can say, see, nailed it, yeah. told you. Here's the thing. It doesn't sound like he acted desperate to me. Not at all. He was very He was calm. very cool. And yeah, yeah, so I think no. No. And, and and just well, how else? I mean, that's a, it's yeah. a genius idea to get away with a hijacking. It's not doesn't mean oh, I'm a I'm a adrenaline junkie. I got yeah. ju- I yeah. could land, but I'm gonna jump. I mean, there's no reason to surmise that. And it probably took him a while to plan it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. a desperate person is gonna walk into a bank. Yeah. with a you know bandana over his face yes. and a pretend gun. This not- is a much less likely to be successful yeah. scenario than yes. a lot of other yeah. ways you could steal money. Absolutely. So, the profile is also, they kind of combine with their assumption of, of his knowledge of skydiving and airplanes and his familiarity with McCord Air Force Base to say, okay, we think maybe he was an Air Force veteran. Or, or at least he yeah. had military experience. So, yeah. th- so when they looked at these suspects, 
they use these assumptions. Yeah. Military experience, some, they, they're later, I think, some experience with skydiving, but not that much. I'll, again, I'll tell you why in a, in a little while. So these assumptions were very important because it did guide how, who they investigated mm-hmm. and how they investigated. Yeah. Then things get weird, though, in the profiling world at, at this point with the Cooper case. Some in the FBI, they wanted to explain the Dan Cooper thing. Why, I don't know. It's, a, hmm. it's just a nondescript name. If you want yeah. to make up a fake name, Dan Cooper is a perfect name, right? Yeah. But some people thought, no, no, it was more than that. It was deeper. They would, you know, again, they're trying to read the psychology of this person. Yeah. So they thought he had plagiarized the name from a comic book series. The lead character of this comic book series was called Dan Cooper. He was a Royal Canadian Air Force pilot, and he had these various adventures. Some of his adventures, including skydiving. Mm. Was this a contemporary? It was a contemporary. It was also a very popular comic book series in Belgium. Oh. And had never been translated into English. <laughs> oh. In Belgium, they had a Canadian. Yeah, isn't that weird? That's weird. That is odd. They probably had to have mountain, you know, the woods and things like that. You don't have a lot of that in Belgium. But still, that didn't pose an insurmountable problem to our intrepid profilers. They just theorized that since Dan Cooper, the hijacker, must have been in the U.S. military, already an assumption, that he probably had read the comic book while stationed in Europe. <laughs> sure. Another assumption. Oh, yeah. Because it's just an assumption layered on assumption layered on. I was going to say, on, this yes. is a lot of layers. It's, it's ludicrous. Are, are, you know, are, oh, he wasn't that? Then maybe he was a Canadian. Because apparently they had, this book had been, these comic books had been sold in Canada. But again, they had not been translated into English. So if that was true, Dan Cooper, the hijacker, was a Canadian who knew French. Which there are a lot yeah. of Canadians who knew French, but he had no accent whatsoever. Right. So he was not a native French speaker. Or certainly not a Belgian either. And well, he just did a really good accent. Well, they also thought he might be foreign because he used the phrase negotiable American currency when he asked for the $200,000 rather than just saying cash. Right. This is a little bit weird, but you go yeah. from that to he was Canadian. No. Yeah. This, again, it's just building assumptions on top of suppositions on top of assumptions. It's not good investigative work, but it's, this is what they did. So, and, and as we know, they did not catch him. <laughs> so now we can agree that Cooper showed tremendous planning skills. Right? I think we all agree with that. Uh But some Cooperologists have taken this to the extreme. They say things like, okay, well, remember that nice suit and tie he wore? He did that because he planned to hitchhike out of the area after he jumped, and if he was dressed nice, he'd be more likely to get picked up. They They thought he planned to that degree and to that level. Yeah. They also thought that he chose the beginning of a four-day weekend, a long weekend. This is Thanksgiving on a Thursday in America, Thursday, traditionally on Thanksgiving, you have Thursday through Sunday. You have Thursday, Friday off, and then your normal Saturday, Sunday off. So it was a long weekend. They thought that, oh, because the FBI had searched for anyone who went missing that weekend, like, okay, if if your husband, whatever, brother, whatever, disappeared that weekend, he could be Dan Cooper. That's the idea. They searched for someone who had gone missing that weekend, didn't find anyone. So therefore, some of these Cooper investigators thought, oh, so he went to work on Monday. And since he went to work on Monday, he was giving himself four full days to get out of the forest and get back to work and, oh, and sure. return to life this as normal. This is so it's weird. ridiculous. They also, again, as I mentioned, I've, I've alluded to a couple times, they, they thought that, okay, he knew about parachutes and something about skydiving, but not too much. The reason is, around the time that the FBI mentioned that they had garnered that DNA trace from the tie clip, remember that? Yeah. They also revealed another 
unusual detail. Cooper was given two parachute riggings, as you recall, a yes. primary chute, reserve chute. That's a, that's a parachute setup. Mm-hmm. One of the primary parachutes was a newer sports parachute that was that skydiving people people thought of as a the better of the two. The other one was a little bit older model, right? DB Cooper chose the older chute. And so now the FBI thinks, well, wouldn't an experienced skydiver have realized the the better chute and right. chosen it? Mm. Stranger still was the reserve chute that DB Cooper chose. This reserve chute that Cooper took was a dummy chute that it was unusable. It had an an operative rip cord. It was Ooh. used just for in-class demonstrations only. If Cooper had had to rely on the reserve chute that he took, he would have died. Did they Damn. do that on purpose? No, it was an accident. Oh, okay. It, the FBI had accidentally been given or sold that, I guess, that, now if I remember correctly, it was, the Seattle, it was the Portland PD, right? I don't know. Or the Seattle PD, something like that who had bought the chutes from a skydiving school, that's, that skydiving school had accidentally given him yeah. one of the reserve oh chutes with gosh. a dummy. Because they didn't want to kill a potential hostage, right, as we yeah. talked about last time. Cooper, though, had chosen that dummy suit and the, quote-unquote, inferior, older, primary shoe. So they thought that he wasn't that experienced of a, right. a skydiver. Well, but so Because would he have made that kind of mis- uh, so-called okay, mistake? So does somebody at the skydiving school. The, the, yeah, exactly. The FBI, though, made this kind of a credo. They would rule in and rule out suspects based on the right amount. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of... They ruled out suspects based on their being too experienced paratroopers or skydivers. Yeah, that's dumb. It's idiotic. Yeah, because that's stupid. I mean, maybe here's my theory. Anyway, Cooper, he remember he cut the cords. He had two right. reserve shoots, so mm-hmm. he used one. He cut the cords from one of the parachutes to um, one of the, res- the reserve shoots to tie the money yeah. bag around his body. Right? right. What if he simply Did opened that. one up, cut the cords, and then did and and indeed did. Recognized the one he yeah. was going to read as a demi coin and just throw it out, throw it out the door when he yeah. had the thing. You didn't need it anymore, but it was too late. You had already ruined the good reserve mm-hmm. shoot. And in terms of the older parachute, what he's just maybe he was just more familiar with it. Yeah, he had yeah. used that chute before. He knew how to steer it because remember we think he probably waited a while before he opened the ripcord and, and likely tried to steer himself in some direction. So, yeah. but again, it became a, a pretty firm assumption on the part of the FBI that he wasn't that familiar. They literally said, now, now we ruled him out because he uh, knew too much about skydiving. Yeah, they, that's, they did that's that. crazy. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's was their thought process through this yeah. genius of profiling. So and pr- I, I think the most questionable assumption was that he died. You yeah. Know, they, were, they became to be so sure. That was just alibine. We didn't yeah. catch him, so he must have died. Yeah. Uh, there was one, a researcher who studied World War II paratroopers, pointed out at the time that uh, thousands and thousands of paratroopers, who not all of them super experienced right. as, as skydivers, survived much worse conditions than that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, he could have lived. people chasing him and With shooting at him. shooting at him <laughs> and under much more duress yeah. than just happened to, you know, being dark and cold. Yeah. So we're now going to talk about the suspects. There are a lot of them. Oh, I so bet. buckle up. Most of them are nonsense, and I'll treat some of those just briefly. But we'll start with one that's eh, middling realistic, 
I'm actually, I'm going to start and end. I shouldn't have told you that. I'm going to start and end <laughs> with two that I think are probably a little bit more likely than, than others. So this first, first one is Kenneth Peter Christensen. A man named Bruce Smith wrote a book called D.B. Cooper and the FBI. He published it in 2016. He, Bruce Smith, was one of the first researchers to be given full access to the D.B. Cooper files by the FBI. All the evidence they had, they had boxes. He estimated yeah. it was something yeah. like 100 tightly packed boxes full of Jesus. reports and things like that, right? He said, after going through all of it, that the bulk of it, if I remember correctly, even the vast majority of it was reports about people who had told the FBI, I'm absolutely certain that my husband, son, brother, friend, cousin, wife, sister, whatever, is D.B. Cooper. Yeah. It yeah. became just a, an amazing trend, if that's the right word for people to say, I know D.B. Cooper, mm -hmm. he was my whatever. Was it a bunch of people who didn't show up for Thanksgiving that year? <laughs> Not just that. No, a lot of them were decades later. It's like, oh yeah, you know what? Uncle Lyle could have been D.B. Cooper. One of those claimants was Lyle Christensen. Lyle Christensen was uh, Kenneth's brother. He was watching a documentary about D.B. Cooper in 2003. So that's about 30 years, more than 30 years after the event. By the end of that documentary, Lyle had just absolutely convinced himself that D.B. Cooper was indeed his brother, Kenneth Peter Christensen. I'm sorry, Lyle Christensen, I'm calling him Cooper. So he thought, he saw a documentary 30 plus years later, oh my God, that's my brother. He starts calling the FBI, repeatedly he's calling the FBI, you gotta look into my brother, I think he's D.B. Cooper. The FBI gives him no love whatsoever. So then he calls filmmaker Nora Ephron. Oh, God. <laughs> he contacts her or her people, I don't know, and he tries to convince her to make a movie about his brother, the supposed hijacker. Okay. Presumably, this is from her work on Silkwood, not from You Got, you Got Mail or When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> no, probably not. I'm guessing. So, again, finds... I didn't know she did Silkwood. Yeah, she wow. did. Wow. I know, she's so famous for rom-coms, but she's yeah. actually a much more serious filmmaker than that hmm. early on. Still, Nora gives him no time of day or otherwise. Right. So he contacts a private investigator and says, can you look into my brother? That private investigator did so, and that private investigator would write a book about it in 2010. But, you know. There was also an episode of History Channel's Brad Meltzer's Decoded about <laughs> Kenneth uh, Christensen being possible D.B. Cooper suspect. Is he still, was he still alive at the time? No, he was not. Oh, okay. So obviously we have to take it seriously if it was on the History Channel. Yeah, absolutely, of course. Very, very solid source. So why did Lyle think his brother Kenneth was D.B. Cooper? Well, he had been a paratrooper in the Army, but that was in 1944 and 1945. In fact, when he was done training, the, the war was basically over and he was never actually deployed as a paratrooper, mm. but he did have some yeah. background there, okay. So... Kenneth was also about 45 when D.B. Cooper did his deed, yeah. so the age roughly fits. Okay. Later on, after the Army, Kenneth had become a mechanic, and he worked for Northwest Orient Airlines uh -huh. starting in 1954. Mm. So, warmer. Yeah. Kenneth followed this up with a stint as a flight attendant <gasps> and a purser. Okay, no, and it's a purser. purser is someone who collects your purses on the airplane when you come in. I forget. No, it's money. It's money, right? Is it <laughs> do you have money? No, that's new? bursar. Okay, what's a purser then? I don't know, know. Okay, look it up while I talk. Okay. Because um, <laughs> I didn't. He was stationed in Seattle. <gasps> oh, my God. Well, I, I'm, I'm with. 
Kenneth, I think Lyle An did. An officer. No, on Lyle a thought sh- Kenneth did. Oh, what? on a ship, or apparently a plane, or a plane. Yeah. Who keeps the accounts, especially the head steward or a passenger on a passenger oh. vessel? So okay. maybe it does have to do with money. They, but you wouldn't be on an airplane with that, so I don't know what the hell aircraft it was. on modern, modern airliners. airliners. Really? The cabin manager oh. is often called the purser, chief flight attendant. Chief flight attendant. Okay, so he had been that. He had been stationed in Seattle. He was left-handed. And oh. evidence indicates that D.B. Cooper had been left-handed. He Fun. smoked. Check. He liked bourbon. Who doesn't? Okay. <laughs> Actually, a lot of people don't, but still, check. Flight attendant Florence Schaffner, as you recall, who was the first person to sit next to D.B. Cooper, she thought Christensen did indeed look something like D.B. Cooper. Hmm. And then a few months after the hijacking, Kenneth bought a house with cash. Oh, well, wow. Okay, I'm on board. Mm. I'm on board. Finally, one more, after Kenneth died, the family found a bunch of gold coins, valuable stamps, and $200,000 in his bank accounts. Hmm. Nice. Did he have kids? I don't think so. Okay. And, of course, there was the obligatory deathbed confession because... Don't get excited. There have been a lot of deathbed <laughs> confessions about D.B. Cooper. There's been dozens of Jesse James deathbed confessions. Yeah. It's a it's a popular sport. Who's the other? Who's the like gangster that everyone claims they killed? John Al Dillinger. Uh, no, not, not Al Capone. He died of syphilis. John Gotti. John Dillinger. Oh. John Dillinger. Yeah. <laughs> One of those Johns. John Dillinger. Yeah. Everyone says they killed him. Yeah, they did. Who's ever under Giant Stadium? Oh, that's Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hoffa. Hoffa. Everybody that's says was, they killed Jimmy Hoffa. That's what I was thinking of, not Still John Gotti. Yeah. One of those Js. One of those yeah. Js. So deathbed confessions, though, are, are pretty worthless. There's yeah. lots of deathbed confessions that were confessions that were complete nonsense. If you're a liar, you're going to lie in your deathbed as well as any other time. I'm going to so. make lots of deathbed confessions, so get ready. Yeah, Don't. get like seven or eight. And, and then, then you totally And then the game is going to be, you guys have to decide which ones are true and which oh. ones are lies. That's that a is, fun that parting game. Yeah. That is very nice. You want to you. torture your kids? I'll leave an oh. answer key somewhere. Okay. Oh okay. But leave a code to find the key. So yeah. if you can't crack the code, you can't find the key. That's terrible. I like it. I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm going to start planning this now. <laughs> so while he was dying of cancer in 1994, Kenneth supposedly told his brother Lyle, quote, there is something you should know, but I cannot tell you. <laughs> Nice. Lyle, supposedly at the time, said, okay, and didn't look into it, didn't try to convince him. Can you just give me a hint? Nope. He made no connection whatsoever at the time. Remember, this is 1994. He wouldn't be seeing the documentary until nine years later. Yeah. So those are the maybes. Those are the suggestive. Uh, That's so those are so actually, solid so, maybes. a solid case. But how about the maybe nots now? Okay. Yeah. Kenneth was a little too short. He was five feet eight, not five feet ten. Mm. And again, these people, that's not perfect. You're right. Yeah. Everyone who's five eight says they're five ten. He could have had pumps. <laughs> pumps? He could have had lifts. Yep. yep. Little shoe lifts. Yeah. He was also a little too thin. He weighed about 150 pounds. Again, they estimated his weight at about 180 pounds. So he's a little skinnier, mm. a little thinner than D.B. Cooper was. You're right. Again, None mild. of these are very convincing. No, they're not. They're not. How about it, this, though? It, but he knew he was jumping out of an airplane. Maybe he had an extra sweatshirt on under his oh, I had not thought about that. Dress shirt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or an actual dress. I'll, tell, I'll explain that later. So he did not really pay cash for that house back in 1972. In fact, he paid it off with a mortgage over 17 years. Oh. So, so much for the suddenly came into money. That's also, by the way, a recurring theme in yeah. these things. Yeah. He also... Now, he still had 2000 bucks in the bank, right? Yeah, because he had bought a bunch of land years and years ago, and he sold off this big chunk of his land 
for exactly that amount and put that into the bank. So yeah. that it, was, it was explainable how he got that money. Also, by the way, he didn't really look very much like D.B. Cooper at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not that much. I've seen the picture. He's nah. uh, yeah. white male. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's about D.B. It. Cooper was. Yeah. yeah, but there's still a look. Yeah. So there's no real evidence whatsoever that Christensen was Cooper. Just, the, But there are these intriguing coincidences and some suggestive similarities. Yeah. The FBI, though, never considered him a prime suspect, but they didn't do a bank-up job in this case anyway. Right. But wait, nobody was looking at into him at the time. No. no. Okay. This all came about later after on. After he died. His, after 2003. Okay, so. Uh, he, he was long okay. dead. He was nine years dead by then. Yeah. Writer Bruce Smith, the guy who wrote that D.B. Cooper book, he calls this a belief fantasy. And again, it, mm. it, it recurs all the time. It's this romantic and heroic, you know, you know the man who fought the man and won. Yeah. It's also kind of live, living vicariously through someone else. It's like the, almost like a brush with fame. Yeah, it would be cool to say my brother yeah. was D.B. Cooper. It absolutely would. That I'm, would be. I, like, I, I might say that, even though it's he would be have been eight at the time. I am I still going to make that claim. What about like an uncle or something. Uh, you know, I'll find one. <laughs> I, that's actually not a bad idea. I wrote a book. <laughs> to me, it says far more about the person making the claim than it does about the target of that claim. Yeah, it's yeah. their psychology you have to worry about, or that is is driving it. So that's why we have I don't know how many dozens of kids say their dad killed the black dahlia. Oh it, yeah, it's been yeah. like six, seriously like six books about that. You can't all be right. Yeah. Almost certainly none of you are. So it's a nasty way to feel important, but I think that's what drives it. Yeah. Next up, William Gossett. Heard Gossett. of him? You probably no. haven't heard of any of these people. On the positive slate for William Gossett was that he had extensive military service, mm -hmm. including training in skydiving and wilderness survival. I like that one. Yeah. That's good. You would have to know that. It would certainly be helpful in case he didn't find that road back to civilization very quickly. Yeah. He became a military law professor in at Weber State University, or maybe it's Weber State, it's in Utah, and he hosted a radio show in Salt Lake City about like paranormal stuff. He was like, uh, I don't know, a local coast-to-coast -coast kind of a thing. Huh. Gossett was also obsessed with the D.B. Cooper case. When he died, he had he had they found just tons of every scrap of article or you know something like that he had collected over the years about DB Cooper, and eventually, as he's becoming more and more obsessed about the DB Cooper case, he started admitting, in quotes, to people that you know what, I actually am DB Cooper. Oh god! Oh okay. So his some of his family thought you know what, could be, he did look a little bit like the sketch, he had allegedly shown a friend some of the Cooper ransom money that he kept in a safe deposit box. How it works that we know that was the Cooper ransom money, yeah. I'm not clear on, but that's what the friend said he said. Gossett's son, Greg, remembers that his dad had a wad of cash right around Christmas of 1971, just about a month after the hijacking. Fun. Then he had lost at gambling because his dad was a prolific gambler and, and always lost money that he made. Oh, well, yeah. that fits. He was desperate for cash. True, he... true. Then, in 1988, Gossett changed his name to Wolfgang and became a Catholic priest. Oh, wow. That friend he had shown the money to said, oh, you know what? I think that's because he's trying to hide the fact that he's D.B. Cooper. <laughs> this friend also claimed that one of the passengers on Flight 305, who he would not reveal who that person was, had <laughs> told the friend about a, a physical detail, in quotes, that D.B. Cooper had. The friend, again, will not div divulge what that physical... <laughs> Oh, weirdness God. was that physical detail was yeah and the friend says you know what gossett had that same 
physical detail as Cooper allegedly had, as told to me by this passenger who I can't name and I can't name so the physical detail. you can't name the passenger either. who told you this fact and you Correct. can't name the physical attribute. Correct. Which would undoubtedly be in the files. You would think. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, all of, all of this combines to offer compelling evidence to prove one thing, that William Gossett had a really stupid friend. Yeah. That's my theory. He's not a serious no, suspect. No, I don't mind. think so either. No. How about Robert Lepsey? You think Robert Lepsey sounds like a good possible D.B. Cooper No, case? I'm still kind of stuck on the first guy. You know why he doesn't seem to be a very good candidate? Because he disappeared in October of 1969, two years before the hijacking. Oh. Hmm. But, well. but it was one of those, you tell the wife and four kids that you're going to get a pack of smokes and then you just never return kind of disappearances. Oh. Yeah. In fact, so his car he abandoned. He did. People. His car was found at the airport nearby. He's in. This is in Michigan, and he had been seen boarding a plane to Mexico. <laughs> oh lord! <laughs> so a, it's a long way to go so for smokes. He, so he's a piece of shit that he abandoned is, his family. He is a piece of shit. Okay. Then in 1973, two years after the hijacking, some of Lepsey's family saw that now famous sketch, the DB Cooper sketch, and they decided that the disappearing dad looked a lot like DB Cooper. Dark suit, white shirt, dark tie. That looked like, this is what they thought, the outfit that their dad used to wear at that Michigan grocery store that he was assistant manager at. (laughs) (laughs) I think our dad did it. I think our dad's David Cooper. Because he wore a dark suit. <laughs> our dad, the former oh my God. Su- yeah. supermarket I swear <laughs> to God, manager. That's it. That's the, that's the evidence. I okay. mentioned him. I mentioned this to illustrate how easy it is to see D.B. Cooper and someone you knew or know. Yeah, and imagine being kids that your dad abandoned you. Yeah. You see a sketch. Yeah. Almost kind of sort of, if you squint, looks like our dad. Oh my God! Wouldn't that be so cool? If yeah, my dad was D.B. Cooper. But then also, this is why he couldn't come back. Yeah, he That's wanted true. to come That's back. True. He was on the run, and he didn't want us to. Two years later, he didn't do it for over two years. He had to. He had to go. He needs some quiet place he to needed, plan. Exactly. In he Mexico, needed the two years to plan. <laughs> <laughs> D.B. Cooper is kind of an etch a sketch for finding your loved one or person you yeah. know. Just have fun with it. I say. So again, I will indeed I, find I an think, uncle who did it. I think it. you're D.B. Cooper. I might be D.B. Cooper. <laughs> I, I would have been six, but yeah. yes. You know, I could have worn, I could have drawn on a dark shadow with coal or something yes, like that. Yes, exactly. A piece I of could, coal. Uh, what? I could have a relative you, who's oh. D.B. Cooper. You think your dad yeah, is D.B. Cooper? You know what? You could have. Not my no, dad. Not your dad. Oh, he could be, though. No, he could be. Age would fit. Oh, damn it. Mm, he'd be too young at the Thanksgiving time. Thanksgiving of 71. Mm-hmm. I can probably remember him find being a there. picture. Okay. Okay. I think you should do it. Put dark sunglasses on that picture. Draw dark sunglasses <laughs> on the picture and say, oh my God, that's D.B. No, Cooper. I mean, I can find a picture of him at home on Thanksgiving. So I don't think it was okay. my dad. But, you oh, know, I, see. I got a lot of uncles. You do. Cousins, you do. Second cousins. Carrie, one of us needs to write a book I never where heard we of both before. make the arguments that we have an uncle who's D.B. Cooper <laughs> yeah. and it's like a he versus she who was D.B. But my Cooper. uncles were actually in that area at the time. Were oh, they? Yes, you're right. Well, they yeah. were. They, you, yeah. Carrie's family's from Longview, Washington, as you know, which is very, very <laughs> they much don't know that area. I was going to say it could be Aunt Mary's ex-husband, but he wasn't smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Aunt Mary. <laughs> you're going to whisper that in case he's case not he's dead <laughs> in case because he almost around. certainly is. He is dead. He died recently, but he has loved ones. He is dead. D.B. Cooper, Carrie's I don't think so. aunt's first husband. <laughs> Carrie's ex-uncle was D.B. Cooper. <laughs> wow, Carrie, fresh with the fame. So <laughs> now we're going to move on to Lynn Doyle Cooper, a woman named Marla Cooper. Really, Cooper. 
Just wait for it. Marlon Cooper made a big splash in the media in 2011 when she came forward with some deep, dark memories from when she was a child living in Oregon, living in the Mm -hmm. Portland area. She had heard her uncle, Lynn Doyle Cooper, known as LD, Uncle LD, (laughs) and her other uncle, Dewey, very Oregon, Washington kinds of names, by the way. LD, my uncle LD, this is my uncle Dewey. Don't know why I'm giving this kind of accent there in North Washington. Don't sound like that. So they were planning something. She heard them planning something. Her, this is her memory from childhood. Something about a, quote, turkey hunt? <laughs> but was it really a turkey hunt? Oh, oh is that a code? We're going to go on the turkey hunt tomorrow, right, LD? We right are before t- Thanksgiving. Right before Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, because they had to go get food. So... But if it was just a turkey hunt, why did her dad seem so nervous at the time? The next day, LD and Dewey arrived at Marla's grandmother's house in Sisters, Oregon, a city called Sisters. Nice. I think you need to think about how you, you name your towns in Oregon. And that's where she was with her family. This is the day after Thanksgiving, apparently. Dewey had to help LD out of the back seat of the car as the station wagon because he was really badly injured. Uh-oh. They brought him in the house and his shirt was all bloody. Uh-huh. Later on, Marla overheard the grown-ups talking and she heard them say that she they had hijacked a plane. But on the plus side, they're rich. They got Uh-oh. money. Her father, I guess, catches her listening and he swears Marla to secrecy. Marla was eight years old. Huh. LD, shortly thereafter, fell out, out of touch with the rest of the family. Hmm. Did he have to go into hiding, perhaps? Probably. In 1995, Uncle Dewey confirmed to Marla, yeah, LD has been in hiding, and he's still in hiding, because you know what, Marla? He was D.B. Cooper. Yeah. <clears throat> this brought back a, a rush of buried memories for Marla in 1995. Of course. About that Fateful, those fateful two days, I guess, in 1971, at which point she then waited another 16 years to tell us about it. Of course. But she needed to get her thoughts straight, I guess. Mm-hmm. The story is pretty much, it's worthless, obviously, but Marla is a very compelling personality. And she tells this good story. <laughs> she tells it very, she sounds, I've seen some video clips yeah. of her. She just sounds, she's very attractive. And she also sounds, <laughs> I just want to mention that, by the way. She's kind of hot. Because and, attractive people are more believable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You and believe. She sounds probably. very rational. As she tells the story, her, right. her complete bullshit story about these hidden memories and whatnot, it has zero evidence whatsoever. The FBI checked Cooper's DNA against the DNA taken from the tie pin. It didn't match. Granted, we're not sure that tie pin DNA is D.B. Cooper's DNA, but still, right. it's not a, not a step in the right direction. And by the way, as you snickered at the beginning... If this is true, it means L.D. Cooper changed his first name, but not his last That's his name, last name. <laughs> when he came on board the Flight 305. Changed That's L.D. to D. L. What was it? Dan. L.D. 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 to D.B. Lynn Doyle Cooper became Dan Cooper because he was really stupid. So no, not buying it, Marla. Sorry about that. Although, call me. So anyway, Barbara. Barbara Dayton. You heard that right. Barbara Dayton. Why can't D.B. Cooper have been a woman? Oh. I ask you. Well, I mean, why not? Because he was a man. Let's just investigate this a little bit, Carrie. Bear with me. Robert Dayton had served in the Army during World War II, and then he had worked in the explosives industry. Intrigued? 
sure, you should be. Sure. He was an avid airplane enthusiast as well. He used to go and watch airplanes and things like that and try to be a pilot. Robert Dayton also dressed like a woman. In fact, he did it throughout his entire marriage while he was producing two children. His wife knew about it and okay. the kids knew about it. No, it was fine. He then started dressing and living as a woman eventually. And one day, years after the hijacking, now Barbara Dayton was at a party or just at a, at a little get-together with some friends in, I can't remember where, somewhere in Washington, or maybe it's Portland area. And somehow the topic of D.B. Cooper came up. And the friends said that Barbara seemed kind of nervous at this. And so they apparently put dark sunglasses on Barbara. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe pulled her hair back a little bit and said, oh, my God, you look like that <laughs> sketch of D.P. Oh. Cooper, Barbara. Ooh. So found out. <laughs> Wait, did Barbara's friends know that she... Barbara was trans. Barbara, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did. Oh, okay. They did. I would assume, yeah. Barbara confessed. Okay, you got me. I what? am indeed D.B. Cooper. <laughs> she told them all about it, how she waited until a thousand feet to open the parachute, how she'd landed near Woodburn, which is a suburb of Portland, how she hid the money in a cistern there oh. near Woodburn, and then she put on a blonde wig and women's clothes and she got out of the area dressed yeah. as a woman, not looking at all like hijacker D.B. Cooper. That so, that could be the perfect smart. crime. It could be, but remember, he was wearing a just a normal sports coat and white shirt. So if she had a dress in there and a wig and such like, it didn't bulk. It was very thin. Yeah. That doesn't seem possible. It wasn't like, you know, there's no question if there's anything that he had been carrying under his sports coat that with any kind of weight or heft whatsoever, the what Tina Muckle would have noticed. Like we've said. Where? Somewhere. In, in, in the middle of the forest in southwestern Washington, and you go and, and find it? she just no. having to jump out of a plane and, and land well, right maybe, there Well, maybe, like we said, it was like there was an accomplice or whatever. Like, yeah. But if, you, if you have an accomplice, you don't need to wear a wig. And she said she did not. She said yeah. she put on a wig and got the hell out of there. So it's not great. Grant slash Barbara Dayton said she had committed the hijacking to avenge the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration in the United States that governs pilots and things like that. Yeah. Because all the rules, she had never been able to qualify as a pilot. Oh. <laughs> so, full-fledged pilot. So therefore, she was so pissed off at the FAA that she decided to hijack a plane for money and, and parachute, and that's why she did it. But then huh. someone told Dayton that federal laws could still be applied to the crime of hijacking and to spe this specific crime uh, this, the actual D.B. Cooper crime could still be prosecuted. She quickly denied having anything to do whatsoever and was not D.B. Cooper. Yeah. So uh, she died in 2002. D.B. Cooper being trans is pretty dope, though. Yeah. I'm down That with would that. be very cool, yes. But, but yeah, I, you're at a party and it's you. D.B. Cooper's brought up. They joke that you look like him. So you're going to go you're with You're drunk it, yeah. and you're going to go with it. And it's funny and then it's... Yes. Oh, well, yeah, no, I'm not actually. You know, and then they say, you know, you can still go to jail for the rest of your life. Oh, then no. Well, then no, I was messing around this whole time. Next up, John List. Have you heard that name? I have yes. heard that name. Okay. I John know List exactly who he is. was the monster who murdered his wife, his three young daughters, and his mother in New Jersey on November 9th, 1971. Mm -hmm. Two weeks before him. the hijacking. Yeah. List took $200,000 from his dead mother's bank account and fled New Jersey. Again, this was two weeks before the Flight 305 hijacking. Later, years later, some people investigating the Cooper case thought, hey, you know what? John List looks like 
D.B. Cooper. It looks like that sketch. It's pictures of him back then look a little bit like the D.B. Cooper sketch. And they figured, here's some sound reasoning, by the way, that since he was already on the run for mass murder, he had, quote, nothing to lose. Sure. So to them, this translates into committing a very public hijacking and parachuting from an airplane. So again, uh-huh. watertight deduction right there. That's basically the evidence, quote unquote, for John List. So some people, some investigators of, of Cooper and their are legion have thrown out John List as a possible Is he still alive? He, I don't know, he's dead. He, Didn't if you he don't know John List. he arrested and go to prison? He did. Yeah. 18 okay. years later. Yeah. Unsolved America's, Mysteries. Yeah. Oh. No, it was unsolved, I think it was Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, oh. you know what? Maybe. It might have been America's Most Wanted. It was yeah. one of those two. Yeah. Did his case mm-hmm. and a neighbor yeah. fingered his neighbor as John List. Looked just like him. Yeah. And he was caught. And he was married. He, he married had a whole and, new family. Yeah. Under questioning, List admitted to being a mass murderer. He denied being D.B. Cooper. did he change yeah. his name? Yes, yes, obviously. Yeah. He did. What was yeah. his name originally? Charles Manson. No, John it was John List. John That's List his real name. What? Charles know. Manson, ironically. <laughs> no. Oddly enough. I don't know. Uh, by the way, John List explained, I don't know if you remember this, he explained that he needed the money, so that's why he had to kill his mom to get her money, but also he killed his family too because they'd been skipping church and just weren't well, yeah. sticking to their religious upbringing. He lately. had lost, so, his, he couldn't keep a job. Angry. Yeah. yeah. So he had lost his job and he was too, and it kept happening. So he was too ashamed at this point to tell his mean wife, I think yeah. his wife was mean to him or something. His wife was an alcoholic who had syphilis and would routinely belittle his sexual prowess compared to her first husband's yeah. sexual prowess in public. So she was not a great Not a great spouse. person. Still doesn't deserve murder. No, absolutely yeah. not. But Certainly the kids don't, obviously. No, the kids are the most, I mean, the white That's horrible. Horrific. Well. Yeah. Yeah, but just, it's just, just like, just, you're just a coward and an idiot. You just like yeah. divorce your wife and... he. So he used to go, he would dress up in his business yeah. suit and go into into the city, into New York City yeah. and just hang out for 10 hours he and come back and home. Like, paper. yeah, I've been at my job as well. I can't remember what he was. Yeah. And then the... It was... The bill started to pile up and oh, I guess I should kill my Better family. kill my mom and my entire family. And then go hijack a plane. And then go start a new one. He was not D.B. Cooper. No. Ted Mayfield, maybe he was D.B. Cooper. Like William Gossett, Ted Mayfield had the right experience. He was served in special forces as a pilot, and he had had been a skydiving instructor. Over the years, various researchers have proposed Mayfield as Cooper, but the FBI never took it seriously. Raph Himmelsbach, he was one of the lead FBI agents early on in the Cooper case, he actually said that Mayfield had called him the day of, the night of, only two hours after the plane landed in Reno, four hours after he had D.B. Cooper had sky jumped, Ted Mayfield called Ralph Himmelsbeck, offering his, I guess, expert skydiving experience in this case. It was, oh. already, you know, it was already in the news. In the right? investigation. In the investigation. Oh, so okay. Ralph Himmelsbeck said he can't, there's no way D.B. Cooper could have gotten to a phone in four hours from when he jumped out of a plane. I, I don't know if that's true or not, yeah. but that's what... Himmelsbach. But again, they also excluded him in part because he knew too much about skydiving. He was an instructor, which is nonsense. Yeah. Turns out, though, that Ted Mayfield may have been the worst skydiving instructor ever. <laughs> in 1994, decades later, he was convicted of negligent homicide when the parachutes of two of his students failed to open and they both <gasps> died. Oh, oh my God. You, know, you, you have to check that. They, he trained them. He checked their, their chutes. They both died. So authorities started looking into him. Uh. They found that, in fact, 13 of Mayfield's students had died oh my due, God. due to my malfunctioning God. parachutes, equipment, or, or, and or lack of training, and uh, he was 
a monster. After two, it's like, okay, well, this is not the job for you. Let's Shows you how poorly regulated that'd be. Yeah. You're not tracking that this guy has 13 on his dead list of people he's Jesus been involved with. He's yeah. trained. Good Lord. I, I think now, if we ever go skydiving, I think we are going to have to Google our instructor. If we ever go skydiving. I want to go skydiving. It's an option. You're you don't want to go skydiving? skydiving. Well, why not? No. I'm you have four children. Well, now I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, they're all grown up. I don't, you guys don't need me anymore. <laughs> Sheridan Peterson is our next suspect. He was another military veteran kind of suspect, right? But he also worked for Boeing Aircraft Company in Seattle. Yeah. Although he'd been a technical editor for Boeing, oh. so it's not like he was well. a, a you know, technical the maintenance guy or a mechanic yeah. or something like that. But intriguingly, he had also been a smoke jumper. Oh, what is that? That's like a person who parachutes into fires. Yeah. Oh. And fights Jesus fires. Christ. Yeah. He supposedly was an adrenaline junkie and a, and a thrill seeker. Yeah, I mean, if kind you of care like, yeah. fires. Yeah. And again, remember they thought, possibly the FBI profile thought a thrill seeker may right, have been right. uh, something that D.B. Cooper was. He did look a bit like the sketch of D.B. Cooper, he, and he was in his mid-40s at the time of the skyjacking. So that all checks, checks out. out. But what this, I, I bring this one up because it really exemplifies that quote-unquote typical suspect that the FBI really did take a sniff at. They looked at the background, right? Who might have been able to do it, just from their knowledge, who was in the right place at the right time, and maybe they had some connection to the case, in this case, having worked for Boeing. So that's why the FBI did look into him, and he he represents that. He's emblematic of that kind of suspect, and there's lots of them. Peterson would always be coy. So he knew he's a suspect, right? Right. He would always be very coy about it. When when people in the press would ask him about it, he would not neither confirm nor deny kind of an attitude (laughs) about it. Well. But then... When yeah. actual real-life FBI agents came to his house, knocked on his door, and asked him, are you D.B. Cooper? He said, absolutely not, and I can prove it. I was in Nepal at the time oh. of the hijacking. It was not me. Please don't arrest me. Yeah. That's nice. He died earlier this year, oh. 2021. So. R.I.P. Most of these people are dead, as you can I tell, would assume. as they should be. As they should as be. They that should seems be. wrong. But it has been. Yeah. If you were in your 40s. 50 years. So. Yeah. In the early 70s. Yeah. It's your You're time. probably dead. Yeah. Robert Rackstraw was a fairly recent, very prominent sus- D.B. Cooper suspect. So other than people with skydiving experience, again, law enforcement took long looks at people who could fly planes. So they had that, that kind of two buckets or a couple of buckets. Robert Rackstraw was a 28-year-old ex-pilot at the time of Flight 305, the hijacking. He had flown a helicopter in the Vietnam War. He kind of flew under the radar, though, after the hijacking, for a few years after the hijacking, he was never a suspect. But then some Cooper investigators heard about him in February of 1978 because he was arrested in Iran with explosives mm-hmm. and deported mm. back to the United States. So they thought, okay, somehow he came to their attention. He's got explosive skills now. He's got skydiving. He's got an air, uh, I'm sorry, pilot experience in his background. Yeah. He does look a little bit like the sketch. So they looked into him. He was again, so he's he's deported back. He has these charges. He's on bail, and a few months later, he's he rents a, a plane, a private plane, and he's flying, and he's over the Mon- Monterey Bay, which is the central coast of California. He radios in a mayday. You know, I'm I'm going down. I'm gonna bail out. He's never seen again. Mm-hmm. That is until a few months later, when he was arrested for forging <laughs> pilot certificates in Fullerton in Orange County, California. Oh, no. So he was very much alive. He had faked yeah. it. In fact, they found that rented plane in a, he had, he was keeping it in a hangar at, a, at a, a small airport nearby. He had repainted it. 
So he was just a, he's a, a petty crook. The evidence in his favor was his background flying, apparently his experience with explosives, and his resemblance to the sketch. At 28 years old, though, he was probably too young to be D.B. Cooper unless he made himself look older somehow or just had aged, I don't know, weathered. I've seen the picture, though. He does look too young. Uh, And so that's what the FBI left it. Back in 1978 and 79, when he was first kind of brought up, the FBI ruled him out and said, no, we don't think it's him. There was no positive evidence whatsoever. Mm. But in 2016 and 17, some self-described amateurs cracked the case wide open, at least in their minds, and they sued the FBI to get access to all the Cooper files because the FBI wouldn't give them all the files. So they said, we're going to sue you because we oh, want to prove that we have this case against Robert Rackstraw as D.B. Cooper. Mm. The group was led by this ex-TV news producer named Tom Colbert. He'd been out, he had worked with famous like Connie Chung, people like that, oh. and um, uh, <laughs> Paula Zahn, people like that in, in L.A. They are. He'd worked, but now he was out of the news business and he was doing some kind of business that would try to develop stories like sensational personal stories, crime or something like yeah. that, and sell them. Hmm. He's, he sounds like a grease bag. But, <laughs> so he saw Robert Rackstraw as his big payday. He wanted to make a big documentary, get it on Netflix or something like that. It was Netflix, 2016, 17? He'd be investigating, uh-huh. or some kind of, you know, make a, a, a profitable documentary about, because he cracked the case of who D.B. Cooper was, right? Mm-hmm. It seems that Colbert's, Colbert's group had found an old parachute strap somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Specific location. They're not saying. Oh, my God. And they later found a piece of foam, which they thought, you know what? That was from Cooper's parachute pack. That's their hard physical evidence for these guys. And he hired this whole team, by the way. He hired people with actual skills who who would be willing to, you know, say the right things to get a documentary made. And But then he kind of slid into full conspiracy mode, and he claimed that... There, there are some letters. There are about five or so, five or six letters written by people claiming to be D.B. Cooper directly after the hijacking. Yeah. They said, I'm D.B. Cooper, and they were yeah. taunting or whatever. Uh, one of those letters written in December of 1971, they decoded it. He, had a, he hired like a cryptographer to see if that letter <laughs> was coded. And so he, it was like an ex-military intelligence expert. And he looked at the letter for Colbert. And not surprisingly, he found some, he broke the code. Colbert claimed that his team had deciphered codes in the letter that referred to three of the army units that Rackstraw had served in while he was in the military. And he would do that because? God knows why. The letter also said, in code, of course, quote, if catch, I am CIA. (laughs) I was going to say CIA. They always are. They yeah. always are. So Rackstraw's yeah. now saying, yeah, he was a CIA asset, so he's protected. They're yeah. always CIA. Yeah. Every time. So, and Colbert said that the FBI wouldn't give him all of the Cooper files because they were embarrassed that these amateurs had outsmarted those damn FBI uh-huh. agents. They would later get, get the, um, the files or get access to the files. But it wasn't at all for sure because Colbert, he, so he was unable to make his documentary. So in 2000, I want to say 18, he had gone on a History Channel documentary and investigated this case about uh, other cases, but the, the case for Rackstraw, right? And so they had the uh, uh, FBI agent who was part of the then investigation of D.B. Cooper look over all the evidence and on camera that agent told Colbert to his face, your case is complete bullshit. You yeah. have nothing. It's nonsense. And he was, and he just kind of stammered, well, I admit it's circumstantial, but he was embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> 
And um, so now he whines. The FBI and CIA have blackballed him. They won't let him make a documentary. That's why no one will return his phone calls because, you know. Well, he can make a documentary. But no, they won't let him, Carrie. They won't let, like, History Channel or Netflix pay him money for a documentary. He's well, blackballed. He's not a huh. Just because someone doesn't pay you money to make one doesn't mean you can't make oh, one. You no. just have to fund it yourself. Oh, he'll probably be killed. Oh, my God. <laughs> he'll probably kill him. He does. I don't think he has the cash. No. He needs yeah. someone else to give him the money to yeah, make it. Yeah, of course. So Rackstraw himself said, quote, it's a lot of bullshit, and they know it is. Because he lost <laughs> his job around when uh, Colbert started talking publicly about oh, it. Oh, that's not nice. His, although Rackstraw was a, a, a low life. He was a lifetime petty criminal. His lawyer, Rackstraw's lawyer, said that Colbert's theory was, quote, the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I, I tend to agree. Yeah. One, and, and on the same History Channel documentary in 2018, they showed the picture of Rackstraw to one of the Flight 305 flight attendants, I think Tina Muckalow, and she said it looks nothing like him yeah. at all. <laughs> so I've seen the picture. There's a super, again, middle-aged male, white guy, American, is the only resemblance whatsoever. Rackstraw admitted that he kind of screwed up because he would play with it. At first, he kind of said, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not. But yeah. then he got fired, and he's kind of pissed off. And not long before he died in 2019, he said unequivocally, I was not the hijacker. I, I'm not D.B. Cooper. That's dumb. So to recap, some armchair detectives found some trash in the woods. They played numerology with a letter that almost certainly, by the way, was not written by D.B. Cooper because none of yeah. them were. And that led them to Robert Rackstraw with zero positive evidence whatsoever. So, so they, don't, they don't think any of the letters were no. from the real no. hijacker? The, why would you? There's absolutely no point. I don't know. I, I don't think they were. I've I've read uh, most of them and and I, I, who knows? Yeah, it's possible, but there's no reason to think it. Mm-hmm. All, every famous case brings out fake letters. It's, it's notorious. Yeah, I mean the chances are over. You know, it'd be weird if a letter was real. Other than Zodiac, I can't think of a case. Yeah, like Jack the Ripper. Most Jack the Ripper experts think all those letters were, were complete fake. Hmm. In fact, some were probably written by actual journalists because they wanted to to write about them to sell right. papers. Yeah. Well, next up is Walter Rica. He was that rare suspect, that rare suspected D.B. Cooper who basically outed himself. Uh. He was a former Michigan military veteran with parachute experience. Check. He was a white guy. Check. <laughs> he w- would have been about the right age. He was 38 at the time of the hijacking. That's close enough. But that's actually kind of it. But that did not stop Walter Rica from telling his friend, Carl Lauren, that, guess what? I'm D.B. Cooper. Mm. He told him this in 2008 and said, uh... I'm going to give you hours and hours of recorded testimony, tell you all about it. You can't divulge this, though, until after I die. So he did. He sat down with Carl Lauren. I remember they did it over the phone, but he recorded it, and he just spun this pretty detailed story, how he landed, how he found his way to his roadside cafe near a place called Clay Elm, Washington. C-L-E, separate word, E-L-U-M. Weird. It sounds like an English village to me. but mm. <laughs> And he did apparently ID. There's, there's a dump truck truck driver at, in that area at the time, and he uh, ID'd his picture or something like that. It's like, oh, see there. I mean, so maybe he was in Clay Elm, yeah. Washington at the time, but who knows? His location, though, Clay Elm, is completely wrong, though. It's way north. It's like of where the Flight 305 crew thought that he had jumped and according to the money found in 1980 on the Tina Bar it was upriver cannot have been the place where he lost money because it's too far north so he picked the wrong place to pretend that he was D.B. Cooper 
the friend Carl Lauren did indeed publish Rika's confession in a book in 2018, but throw it on the growing pile of bullshit <laughs> books about people you say are D.B. Cooper or someone else. William J. Smith, he was a guy that the, I'm, I'm going to mention him because this is one of the most embarrassing stories by a very reputable newspaper I've ever read in my life. In 2018, the Portland Oregonian, Oregonian? Oregonian? Am I David Duchovny? I say Oregonian. Oregonian. They published this story saying William Smith might be, William J. Smith might be D.B. Cooper. The case is literally based on things like he lost his job in 1970, so he needed money. He went to high school with a guy named Ira Daniel Cooper. Oh. (laughs) So that's where he got the name Dan Cooper. Sure. He had worked for a railroad company in Pennsylvania. So you know what? He's in rural Washington. He would have known how to hop a train to get out of there undetected. And no. I mean, that's that's the kind of evidence they brought forward in this that art- makes no article. Sense. Oh, I uh, forgot to mention he had a friend who had been stationed in the Seattle area during World War II. So Smith would have known all about the area through this friend. Case closed. Done it. Oregon and okay. cracked it decades ago. Yeah, that, exactly. That was it. That was it. That was the extent okay. of the evidence. This is, this is embarrassing. You should, if you have a subscription to Oregonian, you should revoke <laughs> you should it or make them apologize for such shitty yeah. journalism. <laughs> Dwayne Weber is a better case, a little bit. But this is another deathbed confession. This is a little mm. more dramatic, though. Dwayne Weber was a small-time criminal. Notice the couple, some of these are small, are, you know, criminals yeah. are some sketchy people we're talking about here, people who kill their parachute trainees. Dwayne Weber's wife came to believe that he had been D.B. Cooper. He's dying in 1995. I think he had cancer. And he's, he's rambling on about the bucket. This is on the, the, uh, the Mystery of D.B. Cooper special on HBO. I have no idea what she meant by that. Like, yeah. I don't know how that's supposed to indicate he was D.B. Cooper. But he said he talked about the bucket? Okay, why are you I'm telling confused. us this, Joe? Her name is uh, Joe Weber. Dwayne, though... She felt that he was trying to confess something. And at one point he just said, oh, fuck it, let it die with me. (laughs) At the end, though, he comes clean. Dwayne's last words before he said, I love you to his wife were, I was Dan Cooper. Okay. This was in 1995, though, and Joe says she did not recognize that name at the time. she had never heard it. Three months later, though, she's with a friend. She's telling her friend, I guess, about her husband dying and what he was saying. And she mentioned, he said, I am Dan Cooper. And her friend goes, oh, my God. That's D.B. Cooper, that famous hijacker. Oh. He actually told people his name was Dan Cooper. She didn't make that connection, Joe. Joe didn't no, make that didn't. connection. But So now she's like, oh, my God, was Dwayne, my husband, Dan, D.B. Cooper? So in that documentary, though, you see this, there's this Cooper enthusiast named Tim Collins has lashed, lashed onto her. And it's kind of sad because she's, start, she's starting to talk about it and rambling. And he says something like, okay, Joe, why don't you start with when you guys were in Lake Maryland and go from there? Remember? And she and he like almost like feeds her her mm, memories. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's doesn't look like a healthy relationship. Yeah. I mean, she relies on him because he's interested in her, and she's a lonely old lady, mm, and yeah. he's an obsessed Cooperologist yeah. who thinks he's found DB yeah. Cooper. So it almost seems like she believes what Tim Collins says or her memories as much as she believes her own memories. Yeah. Well, was she married to him at the time? Yes. And well, yeah, you think she'd know if he's gone. And if they got a bunch of money. And if they did and have money, yeah. That never came up. What? Anything I've read, yeah. That never came yeah, up. I, I, well, they didn't ask him that. Then, there's not really any real positive evidence for it. His wife, there's, there's like little tidbits, right? His wife says, well, there, there's a little bit here. His wife says he bought two cars with cash not long after the hijacking. Yeah. But he was unemployed at the time. 
Okay. But he was a small time crook. So right. yeah, he, yeah. He, he robbed a, a whatever, yeah. a liquor store, and he you know, laundered the money, the cash with cars. That's yeah. not hard to believe. He also left a magazine article about D.B. Cooper in their safe deposit box. <gasps> that actually is a little more telling. Joe Weber also, when, in 1995, after she talked to that friend and became interested in the D.B. Cooper case and started looking into it, she went to the local library and she checked out a book about D.B. Cooper. In that book, she finds the scrawled marginalia that's her husband's oh. handwriting. He had checked out that book and was writing notes in that book, which, by the way, is a dick move. So she Public said. Library. Dick mood. But, and so, so she says it was his. I, I think it probably really was. But I, again, I think that's very telling, but it's not in the way she thinks. It's not because Dwayne was D.B. Cooper. It's because Dwayne was obsessed with yeah, being yeah. D.B. Cooper. Yeah. He was a small-time crook who would have loved to be a big the time. mastermind <laughs> criminal. Exactly. Exactly. So, so on she my also said, "I'm going to say I'm Dan Cooper." I think she. Or I think maybe we all he was. All we it. probably all should. She remembers that they were vacationing near Lake Maryland in Washington in 1979, and her husband Dwayne had said, "Hey, this is the place where DB Cooper walked out of the woods." So I was like, "How would he know that if he wasn't DB Cooper?" Well, <laughs> well, it was again, national news. That also fits with him wanting to be DB Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. She also said that he dropped something in Lake Maryland on that trip in 1979. It was about five or six months later when the money was found on Tina Bar upriver from Lake Maryland. That was Cooper Cash. So she is in her mind that has he dropped nine thousand bucks. Yeah. Why? Why, why? would you do why that? Would you do you that? know what? Yeah. I'm just gonna fuck with people. I'm yeah. gonna drop it here. I want y'all to find it. <laughs> Makes <laughs> absolutely no sense whatsoever. So I don't know. Maybe that's what she remembers. Maybe that's what Tim Collins wants her to remember. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. But he, other little things like his bad knee. He had a bad knee. He told her that I got that from jumping out of a plane. Sure you did. Yeah. He liked bourbon and he smoked. Okay. A lot of people. A, yeah. a, a white guy in that age at that time? Yeah, they Everybody all like bourbon and smoked. So there's other little tidbits, but in 1988, the FBI checked Weber's fingerprints. Remember, they had 63 prints they had taken from the plane that they could not match. Right. They did not match his Weber's prints to any of those 63 prints. Yeah. Not Doesn't completely mean, conclusive, yeah. but still. And again, his DNA did not match as well. More so, he didn't look like D.B. Cooper really at all. I've, I've seen the picture. I've seen the sketch. He doesn't look much like D.B. Cooper yeah. at all. It's, it, you know, it's clearly a case of this petty criminal yeah. fantasizing something that he wasn't. Yep. And being D.B. Cooper would be the best. Now, our last candidate is named Richard McCoy Jr. And he saved the best for last. I think so. Right? He has one overwhelming point in his favor of being D.B. Cooper. He was an actual hijacker. He was D.B. Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, on April 7th, 1972, McCoy walked onto United Airlines Flight 855 in Denver, Colorado. Like Flight 305, Flight 855 was a Boeing 727 with that aft exit stairway that okay. you could jump out of. Okay. When the flight was airborne, he pulled out something that he said was a grenade. Uh-oh. It turned out later that it was a paperweight made to look like a grenade, but oh. are you going to take that chance at 30,000 feet? No. Probably not. So naturally, McCoy demanded four parachutes just like D.B. Cooper had. He also demanded $500,000 because he apparently realized that the value to an airline of not losing a plane full of passengers was more than $200,000. Yeah. He also, by the way, had brandished a handgun, but that handgun would later turn out to be unloaded. So he didn't really have a grenade. He didn't really have a loaded weapon. I don't know how much his heart was in this. Well, he just wanted money. He didn't really want to hurt anybody. He He wasn't evil. He was never going to blow up that plane with the paperweight. Yeah. 
So, yeah. And D.B. Cooper's dynamite could have been painted sticks yeah. of clay. Who knows? Clay? Yeah. I don't know why clay. Because <laughs> also, if, if you get caught... So joke, All guys. Right. I was kidding. I was kidding. But it, no, I mean, you, there would still be serious consequences. But they really couldn't charge you with like I would think it'd be lesser murder or anything yes. like that because you really didn't have a mechanism to kill anybody. I would think so. Right? I would, my, my guess is it, it just would making push the charges threats, down a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. If you're a, a lawyer, tell us. But if you're a lawyer, stop being a lawyer. <laughs> I don't like you. We don't need lawyers anymore. We don't. We have too many. The plane flew to San Francisco International Airport. So he had it. They were supposed to go. I can't remember. He had him turn around, fly to San Francisco. They brought him the money and the parachutes. And just like D.B. Cooper, he said, okay, now we're going to fly back. Head east. I'll tell you when. And... He jumped out of the plane, just like D.B. Cooper had, somewhere in Utah, somewhere near Provo, Utah. However, right. he had left behind a handwritten note, which explained his demands. He had left that behind with his fingerprints on it. Oh, my God. And he also left behind a magazine he'd been perusing <laughs> with oh his fingerprints on it. Oh, my God. It's a little sloppier yeah. than D.B. Cooper the first time around anyway. So a friend recognized the sketch, told the authorities, two days after the hijacking, two days, McCoy was arrested without incident, at his home in Provo, Utah. Mm. The ransom money was found in his attic. So oh. pretty easy case. Yeah. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to 45 years in federal prison. Two years into his oh. sentence, McCoy was able to make a fake gun, and oh, he and a group of other convicts carjacked a dump truck, or like a garbage truck, I think, and they crashed it through the main gate of Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary in central Pennsylvania, that's on the East Coast of the United States, by the way. They then split up. They escaped. They were successful. They successfully escaped. But just a few months later, McCoy was tracked down by federal authorities hiding out in Virginia Beach, Virginia. He was killed in a shootout with oh. FBI agents. Oh, wow. So he did not live to say whether he was or wasn't. Hmm. But let's keep this in mind, though. There had already been, and, and would be even after this, several copycat D.B. Cooper yeah. hijackings, asking for parachutes and uh, hijacking a plane. It was, yeah. became a, a thing right after the first one, D.B. Cooper. So this could have been just another one of those copycats by McCoy, yeah. or was McCoy trying for a repeat performance, this time for more, more, more money. I more just, money. Uh, more money. Let's listen to the evidence first, Gary. Yeah. The okay. evidence. Family members said that Rich McCoy had a clip-on tie and a mother-of-pearl tie pin, just like Cooper's. Mm -hmm. When asked if he was D.B. Cooper after the, after the Denver hijacking, McCoy would say nothing. Again, sort of neither confirm nor deny. He had been a Green Beret. He had been a helicopter pilot. He had experience with explosives. He was a very experienced recreational skydiver. Hmm. All this is not a bad resume. No. One of McCoy's friends, his name is Ben Andrew Weird, Andrew Weirden, he was nice served name. in the Utah. Hey, <laughs> Ben, if you're listening, if you're I apologize, dead. my horrible daughter. <laughs> so, he no, he's not. He was just on that DB Cooper show on, on HBO. He was talking about this. Oh, he had been in the in the Utah National Guard with McCoy around the time of the hijacking, and he remembers that just after the Cooper hijacking, he and McCoy would sit around and talk about hijackings, how to do it. They would strategize. They would sort of game out how do you successfully pull off a hijacking. So after the Denver hijacking, Ben remembers, he kind of puts these things together. Hey, you know, my, my old buddy McCoy, Richard and I used to talk about hijacking way back then. He looks a lot like that sketch. 
And he lives in Provo, Utah, which is where the hijacker had jumped. So that's why Ben called the FBI and said, I think it's my friend Richard. And yeah. they well, checked his house. Why are you being a snitch? Well, he, not only was he a snitch, but listen. So he goes to like a court hearing. And I guess he came across Richard being let out. And McCoy after at a court hearing. And he saw his friend Ben there, then. I guess he knew that Ben had turned him in. And he looked at him and said, you know, some of that money was for you. Because <gasps> oh. <laughs> they were still friends. Apparently. Yeah. I know. If you think like I... It, if I had tales of a dream with my friends, specifically if we sat and talked about something and they went and did it, I would not snitch on them. Yeah, but here's the thing. He looked a lot like D.B. Cooper sketch. So his friend, I don't know if Ben thought this for sure, but I, I, I'm guessing that Ben also thought he might have been D.B. Cooper. So this would have been the second hijacking Why would in you want to snitch months. on D.B. Cooper? Reward. Was there some I, you know, reward? I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't read that if there was or wasn't. There Even probably though, was. I don't know. Fuck no. I would be like, good job, Dude, High five. So you're pro, you're taking the pro hijacking stance. Yeah, in this case, yeah. Okay. All right. No, not no. The stakes are a little I bit just... too high with an airplane full of. But nobody got people. hurt that time. Yeah, you can't just I excuse would call hijacking. Him up. I would call him up weight. and say, "Hey, you're listen. just encouraging the next mm-hmm. guy who is going to bring a real bomb or yep. a real gun." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still want to snitch on my friend. Oh, okay, but. Hmm. I guess because snitches get stitches. I think that's they part of it. You've never heard of if you see something, say something? See something, say something. No. <laughs> I don't live in a post-9-11 America. Keep calm, carry on. <laughs> carry on. I don't know if that really applies. The FBI agent who shot McCoy in Virginia claimed he thought for sure McCoy was Cooper. He said, quote, when I shot Richard McCoy, I shot D.B. Cooper at the same time. McCoy's probation officer thought that he was D.B. Cooper as well. He speculated that McCoy had lost all the money on the jump because remember he tied it off his body. It was an open, unzippered, unhandled bag. He thought, okay, he lost all the money, so he had to do the second one and for five hundred thousand dollars because he didn't have the money that he was supposed to have. And again, I I don't want to. I can't overstress it. He looks a lot like the sketch. He by far of all these suspects, he looks far more like the sketch than anybody else, in my opinion. The evidence against McCoy though is kind of geographic. McCoy was seen in Las Vegas on the day after the hijacking, and there are actually phone records and gas receipts to prove that, to indicate that. On the day of, he said, I was with my family. It was Thanksgiving. So there's no proof where he was on the day of. Yeah. The, the family can be, especially if the family knows that you're hijacking an airplane, they'll say, yeah, he was here. Well, and there were a lot of suspicions, by the way, that his wife was aware of his hijack in the Denver plane she hmm. sued somebody for saying that so uh, allegedly <laughs> but some people think so <laughs> well if him is your wife she's not yeah she won't snitch no, she's gonna get stitches if i am married to you <laughs> hell no that's my <laughs> money too <laughs> okay there you go so you are very much pro hijacking here you're in coming out strong specific pro- okay instance, it sounds yes. more general to me no in, like i think was, you're gonna be a hijacker no okay definitely wouldn't i'm way too lazy to be a hijacker. okay you know guys give me money now okay never mind <laughs> Never mind. You just keep flying okay, where's this plane going <laughs> I, i'm fine then just uh, you know can we go to cuba no okay so <laughs> so so the question becomes could he have made it to las vegas a day after leaping over portland sure Who knows? if you had help i would say yes but the fbi thought no and that the FBI claims that they never took him seriously as a potential D.B. Cooper. They also didn't like that he was only 29 at the time. They thought that's too young. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. That makes sense. So the FBI also, um, they also, by the way, they felt McCoy had too much skydiving experience for the reason we explained earlier, which is nonsense. So this, so now, I I just, so my mind, by the way, the the, um, crime 
1976, when the crime, when hijacking the federal statute that covered it, it seemed like the statute of limitations was going to run out. A Portland grand jury quickly indicted a John Doe, a person of persons unknown, for the crime, the D.B. Cooper hijacking crime. Yeah. And so there's a sitting indictment that can be used if Dan, Co- if Dan ever Cooper ever comes yeah. and says, I'm D.B. Cooper. You, to this day, you can still be prosecuted. Yeah. You certainly oh, really? did, but you could. So maybe that's why D.B. Cooper never came forward, because he could, he could there was still no be prosecuted. Statu- yeah. mm-hmm. Why don't they do that for every crime? So real what? Qu- what I thought I'd do to wrap this up is just... In my mind, the two most likely suspects are Kenneth Christensen, the first one, and yeah. Jim McCoy, the last one. In the favorite, Kenneth Christensen, recall, he smoked. He liked bourbon. He was left-handed. He was a paratrooper. He was about the right age. He worked for Northwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. He was stationed in Seattle. He had bought the house with cash, and he left some serious money behind. The cons are he was too short. He was too thin. He actually did not buy the house for cash. And the money was explained by a land sale. He also didn't resemble the sketch all that much, and the FBI considered him not a prime suspect. Richard McCoy, pros, he had military training, he had explosive experience, he had extensive skydiving experience, he had a tie and a tie pin, much like Cooper's tie and tie pin. He looked a hell of a lot like the sketch, and he really did actually hijack an airplane. The cons are he's a little too young, and could he get to Las Vegas in a day? In fact, kind of less than a day. Because remember, it was at yeah. night. And, he, and, I, and also, by the way, the strategizing about hijacking, that was after the D.B. Cooper hijacking. So that strategy could have oh. been, I'm thinking about hijacking for the first time, me, Richard McCoy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk to my friend about right. how you do it. Yeah. So Probably prompted by the D.B. Cooper. Exactly. Not exactly. that he was D.B. Cooper, but that he was prompted. That's a good idea. He was, In yeah. other words, he was one of the copycat mm-hmm. hijackers. Uh, five you want to know my answer? Yes. What is your answer? Neither. You think neither, huh? Yeah. What do you think, I, Emma? I I think neither, too. I do kind of think this was the perfect crime. Either the perfect crime or he died or whatever. Yeah. You know, I would like to believe in my mind that it was the perfect crime, that the perfect crime has already happened and nobody can try to do it again. Why do you think neither? Is that the same reason you, you think? Be- because of the cons that are if the I cons. If I had yeah. to pick one, I would say... McCoy. The first one. Oh, you say I'd Christensen? Say, I would say Christensen, yeah. I would pick McCoy. Yeah? I would pick McCoy, too. I, I just don't feel like... He looks if he really so was, much like If he, he really he was really D.B. Cooper, hijacked. he would just do it the next... Like, do it again the year later? Why not? It worked. It works again. Yeah. Criminals are creatures of habit. So yeah. I, I think it makes perfect sense that he'd do it again. Especially yeah. if he didn't actually It's just a bummer. It's yeah, just a yeah, bummer that he pulled off such an amazing, elaborate crime yeah. and then did it again and got caught. And got yeah. Caught, yeah. It just being... takes the oomph out of it. Yeah. So I w- why I want to say the first one is not because of pure logic. It's because it'd be cooler if someone really did the perfect crime and got away with it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they died and decades later, their brother got to be like, oh my God. And if I, if I had to gauge Richard McCoy, 10 being, I'm positive he did one being, he did I, seven or something. There's still a lot of problems oh, yeah. with it. The, the, but the, the Vegas thing, I mean, why not? Is there a better place to launder cash than Las Vegas in no. America? No. And if you you would have to have help. He would have had to have had someone who picked him up and they said, We're driving straight for Vegas. We're gonna launder the cash there somehow. Remember, it was the next day. Is uh, presumably I'm I'm guessing this is before How the many FBI. Hours would it take? Oh, not to that get... long. It would take probably uh, I'm guessing ten hours if you drive real fast. Really? Don't yeah, stop from Portland to, to Vegas. I don't know. Let's I think it's out. longer you know, than it might that. Be longer than that, actually. I think it's longer than that. That's why I was thinking Maybe they would have had to have flown. Private plane. 
Yeah, you pick him or up a and you go. Commercial. I mean, no, nah, I don't think DB Cooper gets on a commercial plane anytime soon until Denver. <laughs> Actually, so my guess when, is that if you had a, a, a co-conspirator, they picked you up in a truck and then you went to some. They had a Cessna or something yeah. like that. And they flew to, to Vegas. I mean, it's easy to not. 15 hours and 15, 15 hours? minutes. Yeah. So not 16 hours. If he's picked DB up by Cooper. midnight, he could, he'd could be there by 5 p.m. the next day. It's not only I, takes two hours and 10 minutes to fly there. Yeah. He yeah. easily can have flown there for sure. No question about it. If he had a co conspirator yes. with a plane or access to a plane, he flies there. They launder the money. They split up. Or they don't have the money in which they, all I got was 8,000 bucks. Let's go to Vegas and put it on red. Yeah. Because the rest flew out of the unzippered bag. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't read if McCoy asked for a zippered bag or not. That would be the one thing you'd want to do different. Yeah. So, and with a, I'd get a backpack. But anyway, that's my best guess is McCoy. My second best guess is we, we don't, in fact, maybe my first best guess is we don't have any idea and we'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we will probably never know. I mean, is there a chance one day some DNA pops up or whatever it is that it's, not likely. Well, well yeah, that, the, that'd be the best way if if that type yeah. in DNA is Cooper's DNA, and, it and you find someone somewhere. who pops it up you got with like like the Golden suspect. State Killer. Well, yeah. I what if it's gonna, a situation like that? Yeah, it's that's not the only chance. Enough to, the to, only to chance is familial that. DNA. That's yeah. the yeah. only chance that 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 you match someone a current you match a suspect yeah. to that type in DNA. Wasn't the BTK killer caught like that too? No. Mm-mm. Who was? Who am I thinking? Somebody else. Must just be the Golden. So that's the story. The three-parter. Yeah. The mysterious yeah, hijacking of D.B. Cooper. Maybe the most enduring sort of crime mystery in American history. Yeah. I feel like it's one of the only like genuine mysteries. Because yeah. a lot of these mysteries unsolved have actually been solved. Or yeah. we know who did it. Or it's kind of like, yeah, exactly. Like the this Dahlia is, or Jack the Ripper, yeah. all that. We know who did we it. Kinda get, yeah. This we is this is one where your best suspect is not a perfect suspect right. by any stretch. Ever. Yeah. yeah. So it's a really good chance that we have. No, I mean, people have been looking at this. Thousands of people have been obsessed over this and looking into yeah. it. And we still don't have it's, a really, really clear suspect. It's very mm. possible that someone just got away with it. Yeah. And you like that because you're pro hijacking. Like We've established that. Emma as pro hijacking. So I'm and pro would never snitch. Mystery. Me I too. like mysterious yeah. things. Good thing, because we do a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. that's well, it. Thank you for listening. Thanks. We're Peace not going to tell you where to find us, because nope. we already did that. Until next time, see ya. Bye. See ya. <laughs>